willing to bet that I, by the age of 16, prayed out loud more than anybody in my entire family. Do you know how I know this? Because I was the designated prayer. Are you the designated prayer in your family? Here's how this went. I had two older brothers, and we lived close to both sets of grandparents, so it wasn't uncommon from Sunday afternoon that the grandparents would come over, we'd have a big Sunday lunch, and, and it, it worked like this. My oldest brother, he was a designated prayer. And when mom asked him, John, would you pray? He'd say, I don't really want to today. And so it came to Ken. And then Ken would say, I don't really want to today. And then it came to Bill. And Bill went, there's nobody left, right? And you start to get the, that, that, that look that only a mother can give, half disappointment, half stink eye. You know the, the look I'm talking about? Like, nobody can resist that, right? So, oh, okay, I'll pray. And so my experience in prayer growing up, this was from a very early age. In fact, as early as I can remember, I was the designated prayer because I had no one to hand it off to. Like, it was some owner's duty, right? But the, pray that I, uh, the prayer that I prayed was, maybe you're familiar, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for this food. People know, it wasn't just me. I thought I made that up. No, it, let us thank him for our food. And so this was the prayer that I prayed, and it was just a thing that I did. And we, the only thing I knew as a kid was we couldn't eat until I said those words. That was my motivation for prayer. I was hungry, so man, let's get this done. Come on, you know, I want to eat. And so I, I began to, to realize at an early age, I always, I love the play of words. I love the sound of words, putting words together. I love words that rhyme. And it occurred to me somewhere in my little, I don't know how old I was at the time, maybe 10-year-old brain, that good and food don't rhyme. Have you ever noticed that? Let us, uh, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for a food. No, that's not the way. Okay, God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. No, no, it's, it doesn't even rhyme. It's like, come on. And so at some point I heard this other version, which I thought was brilliant, because not only did it rhyme, it was short, succinct, and to the point. I loved it. Maybe you've heard this version, which I decided to unveil on the family. And not just at any time, but at Thanksgiving dinner. When everyone was around, I debuted this wonderful prayer. Let me know if you've heard this one. Good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. <laughs> Anybody familiar? See, it rhymes. Good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. It was perfect. And short and to the point, I got to eat quicker. My brothers thought that was hilarious. My dad, well, he was actually indifferent. Until he saw my mom, who was upset, and then dad was upset. You know how this works, right? And so I got a good talking to, and was escorted back to my room to contemplate the seriousness of what we were doing and how holy God was, which I understood none of. And, uh, and then I got to, to come out later and, and eat my dinner. So, so sometimes a shorter prayer does not always let you eat quicker. That's just handy information for you all out there. So, but that was my experience in prayer. It was very much a rote thing. It was very much something I had to get through to get to something I wanted to do. And it didn't really sink into me until that day. There was a seed planted that day that made me think, maybe there's something more to this prayer thing than I'm aware of. Certainly as a, whatever I was at the time, 10-year-old, uh, I'm pretty sure there is. And that's what I want to talk about today. I wonder what your experience with that kind of prayer is. Because a lot of times we, we pray, we don't know what to pray, so maybe we pray like the Lord's Prayer, or we pray another prayer that we are familiar with, 
is always, does it just become rote? Is it just a series of words that we say? Have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? I mean, we don't do that every Sunday here. Uh, by the way, we're going to do it today, but we don't do that every Sunday here. But if you've ever been in that environment where you pray the Lord's Prayer every Sunday, it is entirely possible to pray the Lord's Prayer out loud while going through your calendar in your mind and thinking about what you want for lunch and thinking what you need to get from the store. Anybody had this experience? Yeah, not today, but it's possible, right? Because it just becomes so familiar. But there must be power in this idea of the Lord's Prayer. And here's why I know this. There was only one time that the disciples asked Jesus for a tutorial. Author Max Lucado says it this way. There was just one time the disciples wanted to, a, a personal tutorial from Jesus. And guess what that was? Lord, teach us to pray. Yeah, how to pray. So there must have been something about these Jewish boys who had grown up praying. This was no foreign thing to them. They had all kinds of prayers and liturgy and things that they would do in their home. But something about the way Jesus prayed was different. And they wanted that. Teach us how to pray. So there must be something special about what he says after that. And that's where I want to talk about today. We're going to land in... Um, well, that was my, my family picture. It looked nothing like that, by the way, but uh, there you go. So this is Jesus' teaching, and uh, in Luke 11, starting in verse 1 through 4, that's where we're going to be camping out today. So if you have uversion.com, you can find that in any translation you wish. If you have old school hard copy, it's in the book of Luke, chapter 11. And we're going to start right there at uh, this this section where the disciples are talking with Jesus after he has just been teaching and praying. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. These are the words of God. They are for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. I know you may be thinking, that's not the word Lord's Prayer that I'm familiar with. Because there's something about power and glory and kingdom and, and all that stuff. And, and suffice it to say that some of the earliest translations, if you're looking for the geek version, some of the earliest translations in the Greek did not contain that, so some of the translations today don't contain that. But does it make it any less true? Does God have the power and the glory and the kingdom forever? It's all good in my mind, all right? So I don't care where it came from. What I care is, is it right? And it is right. So what we talk about today is Jesus' response, and here's the thing about the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer isn't some magical incantation. It's not a rote thing that you have to memorize, and by golly, if you get a word wrong, it doesn't count. It's much more, uh, it's much less about the words of the prayer, much more about the themes of the prayer. Much less about how or when or what posture you're in, and much more about what posture your heart is in when you pray this prayer. So what I want to do is take apart the Lord's Prayer and give you a practical way to use this, because Jesus' intention it was never that everybody in the history of the world would memorize these words and say these words. His intention was to give us an outline, a way to address our concerns with our Father. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to pick apart the Lord's Prayer, put it into themes, and then we're going to take those themes and give you four questions that you can walk away with today that will help you incorporate the Lord's Prayer by rote, if you wish, or by themes, which I highly recommend. So let's jump in. The first one, it says, Our Father, <clears throat> who art in heaven, or hallowed be thy name, the, the translations sometimes vary on this, but here's the thing about all these themes that run through the Lord's Prayer. They're juxtapositions. There's something very personal and something very grand and ancient and universal, almost like the God of the universe. So when he says Father, that's a very familiar term. And, and maybe you've heard this before, that the Greek term Abba is, is the equivalent to Daddy, which is a, implies a very great familiarization. You don't walk up to just anybody and say, hey, Daddy, unless you want some really weird books. Um, but you just don't go ahead and say that to people, right? You have to be familiar with them. You have to have that relationship with them. So, Abba, Father, but yet, it's in heaven. It's hallowed. He's set apart. He's close, like, like our Father, but he's set apart because he's holy. So that, that's a hard one to understand sometimes. I remember, uh, speaking of that Thanksgiving lunch, <clears throat> My initial response after the prayer was, was awesome, because I saw my brother's reaction. And then I looked to my dad next, and I was like, okay, I think I'm going to live. And then after dad's countenance changed between him and the exchange of mom, I was like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is not going to end well. So that's kind of the, the, that reverence that we have to have. I, I love my dad, but like I told you before, I was afraid of him. And that might have been the thing that saved my life on more than one occasion. And that fear was not like an abject fear. It was like a, a reverence, a don't mess with this one kind of fear. And I, I honestly think it did keep me alive a couple of times. So our Father, yes, but he's holy. He's set apart. He's different. He calls us to be different as well. And he equips us to be different as well. And that's coming in a second. Your kingdom come. When Jesus was on earth, he talks about his kingdom not being an earthly kingdom. You might recall his exchange with the Roman authorities. They were trying to accuse him of overthrowing Rome. He's like, hey, my kingdom is not of this world. So if his kingdom is not of this world, and we're praying for a kingdom to come, then what is the kingdom that we want to come? My answer is it's a kingdom of the heart. Our heart. All y'all's heart, as we say in Texas. And, and here's the thing about a king. If the king is truly a king, then we obey the king. And here's where I see the biggest problem is a lot of times I don't want to do what Jesus says because I got my own thing. And, and whether that's just I, I object to it because it will make me uncomfortable, uh, I object to it because I'm too busy, I'm object uh, because I, I don't care, uh, whatever. The fact remains that if he is my king, I am obligated, obligated to do what he asks. So be careful when you pray the spirit word, sir. When you say, thy kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, what you're saying is, I'm yours. I will do whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want. That's a dangerous prayer, is it not? Be careful when you pray these, these themes in your world, because he'll ask you to do things. But here's the thing. Your kingdom is not just the kingdom like we're familiar with. So we may be familiar with kings that were good kings and bad kings, and, and sometimes they did well and sometimes they didn't. 
This king is good. He's good all the time. This king has a, a vision that incorporates the saving of the entire world, of a, a time where we live forever in eternity. That is good, like it was meant to be in the beginning. That's what this king is about. And so when we pray for that kingdom to come, it begins with a trans, uh, transformation of our hearts and carries out then so that we do that to the world. What is it that, that we do? We make disciples. We live like Christ by the power of the Spirit. We spread the good news. We proclaim the gospel. This king is a good, good king. And so many times when we pray, we pray for an outcome, and then we're disappointed when that outcome doesn't happen. But let me ask you, who knows best? Me or the creator of the universe? Bill or my king? I'm going to go with the king. Maybe you've had a, a experiences in your life. Uh, like I say always, the, the more trips I make around the sun, the more I can look back in perspective and say, not everything is good, but I can see God's hand in it. And, and like the Bible says, I, we, we talked about this in the men's group this last week, it, it says be thankful in all things. It doesn't say be thankful for all things. It says be thankful in all things. And the way that I can be thankful in the terribleness of this world and the tragedies and the disease and the strife and the war and everything else that goes on is that I know there's a king at the end of this and it is going to be good. Thy kingdom come. Your will be done. That's the answer. That's the way out of all of this. Give us this day our daily bread. Here's another juxtaposition. Is he talking about literal bread, or is there something more? And the answer is yes. So daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. This means that I just he's present, and we are present in this moment. He's going to give me enough to get through this day. And later on, I know this because Jesus talks as he's teaching. He mentions the manna in the wilderness. You remember how manna fell during the time of the Israelites that were wandering, and they're, how are we going to, you know, there's not enough drive-throughs in this place to get all these hundreds of thousands of people through. How are we going to eat? And God says, I got you covered. I've got this thing called manna, and it's going to drop. And here are the rules for manna. You can go back in the Old Testament and read this. Gather enough for how much? Today. Give us this day our daily bread. See, Jesus knew the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus knows exactly what he's reminding these people of. Remember that time when God provided and it was enough? Yeah. Give us this day our daily bread, just like our ancestors did in the wilderness when that manna fell on a daily basis. You didn't see people out hoarding or people bartering or people trying to invest so they had a store of manna. In fact, manna didn't last. It would spoil. The only time that there was one exception to that was on Sunday or Saturday, technically, or actually probably Friday if you're Jewish. Anyway, for the Sabbath, <laughs> you get the point. You had to gather two days so that you didn't have to work on the Sabbath. But other than that, it was there like clockwork. Almost like a, a God who has created the universe and owns the cattle on a thousand hills and can provide for anything. That's the God that we serve. So give us this day our daily bread. Yes, it's give me enough just for today, but here's the cool thing. In, in the Greek translation, that word that means that daily bread is actually, actually uh, I'm not going to try to pronounce the word, but it means it's super substantial. And what's that mean? It means it's not just physical bread. There's something more to that. And Jesus knew this too, because what 
does he call himself later? I am the bread of life. So not only is Jesus giving us enough to get through this day physically, he's talking about that daily bread of life that gives us life, that lets us be for the world who Christ says we are, that lets us experience him now and forever. So give us this day what I need spiritually, not just physically, to carry me through. Give us this day our daily bread. And then it talks about forgive us our debts or trespasses, whatever your translation says, as we forgive those who trespass against us. See, we're all about wanting forgiveness for me. I'm all about mercy when it's for me. But when it's about them, I'm all about justice. Anybody with me there? You know what I mean. Uh, Father, forgive me for everything I've done and smite that one. There's a good word we don't use enough. Smite. I smoked them. I think we should bring that word back in our vocabulary as well. Yeah, that's what I want in traffic. Smite. Smite. Double smite. But mercy. Like, like, I literally just had this experience the other day. I I was coming up a a side street by Walmart there. On one side, they have a four-way stop. But do you know on the other side that it's not a four-way stop? I know this. <laughs> so I'm coming up, I'm stopped at the stop sign. I look over, there's somebody coming. I'm like, oh, they're going to stop. And I start to come out, and I realize they're not stopping. And so my cat-like reflexes step on the brake pedal. That sounded way better in my head. But yeah, I stopped in time and, and got the horn honk and the Hawaiian good luck symbol and all the other things that go with that. And, and I, I realized at that point, it's like, ooh, yeah, I was a knucklehead there. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, my bad, you know, do those kinds of things. And then it hit me right after that because I knew I was preparing for the sermon. What if I'd have been in that other car? I wonder what words would have come out of my mouth. Probably something about smiting. Smite, yeah. <laughs> I, I felt smoke, yeah. So that's the whole point is we, we have to, we, we want to see that forgiveness. That's great. But we're also required. And there's a whole sermon series on forgiveness. I mean, you can go back and search the the archives for forgiveness. We have a whole sermon series on that. But the scripture is pretty clear. You will be forgiven as you forgive. Yikes. That puts it in perspective for me. But you know, the other thing about this, sometimes I feel like uh, I'm the hardest one to forgive. And that means forgiving myself. When I feel like I let God down. Or, or when I've not acted in the most Christian manner. It's hard to forgive myself. But yet I realize at the same time, that's the number one tool that the enemy would use to put that wedge between God and me. Yeah, you're, you're a knucklehead. You will always be a knucklehead. And God doesn't suffer knuckleheads. Who do you think you are approaching the throne room? He doesn't want to talk to you. He's not your daddy. But he is. And that's a lie. And that's one of the main barriers to prayer. We talked a little bit about barriers last week. But forgiveness of ourselves and others is a powerful tool. And then lead us not into temptation is, uh, is always interesting to me. Because a lot of times when I find myself in trouble, some of my deepest, most heartfelt prayers are when I'm in deep kimchi. Right? Like, Lord, help me. Lord, like the 30-day prayer challenge, Lord, hear my cry. How have I gotten here? Well, I bet it wasn't because I was following him. I led myself there. He didn't lead me there. God does not tempt. 
He might test, but he doesn't tempt. That's another sermon series coming up, maybe. I don't know. But a lot of times when I find myself in trouble, it's not because I've followed him there. But here's the thing. No matter where I find myself, if I will follow him, he will lead me out of there. And that's a, a promise. He, he is always there. I'm always fascinated by things like the 23rd Psalm where it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are nowhere near me because you can't have anything to do with that and you think I'm an knucklehead. Oh, is that just my translation? <laughs> no, you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. He's never apart from us, even in the troubled times. And he will lead us to a better place. Now, the last of that is deliver us from evil. He says that. The disciples have no idea what that means. Think about the context in which he's saying this. This is towards the end of his ministry when he's trying to educate his disciples as he begins to check out, as you will. Deliver us from evil is about to take on a whole new meaning on the other side of the cross. And the disciples don't understand that yet, but they will. I wonder how many times I don't really understand it yet. And that's called trust. That's called faith. That's called lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So what do we do with this? Here are the four questions that I promise, no extra charge for today. So as you're praying this, you can memorize it by word by word. That's great, but memorizing the theme is far better. And these four questions will make this prayer very personal for you. So as I pray the Lord's Prayer, the first thing I ask is, where do I need to be obedient? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Well, that means you're in charge and I'm not. So, where am I needing to be obedient today? Great question to ask. I encourage you to journal that, too. The second one, where do I need to trust God? Give us this day our daily bread. Really? Is there enough for today? Do I need to be worried? Do I need to have a scarcity mentality? Or will there be an abundance? Because God is a God of abundance. So, where do I need to just relax and trust Third question, who do I need to forgive, or where do I need to forgive? Sometimes that might be me. Sometimes that might be us. Sometimes it might be that person in a Walmart parking lot. But don't let that stop you. Don't let that be the barrier. Put real names and real faces in real situations and give it over to God. And finally, where do I need to follow? If he's going to lead us not into temptation, then that means I must have to follow somewhere. And like I said before, I'm the world's worst follower because I got my own path, my own agenda, my own ways of doing things. And I pray prayers like, good bread, good meat, good God, good seed. It's sometimes irreverently. <laughs> so my, uh, my experience that day, I said, <clears throat> excuse me, I said the seed was planted, and that was true. And the seed wasn't what my dad said. In fact, I couldn't even tell you what he said. I don't remember. The seed wasn't that I, I missed a meal for a few hours and had to eat full leftovers, uh, although that would have kind of stuck with me, I'm not going to lie. The seed was my, my mom's reaction. And, and that was the day that I realized that there's something sacred about this praying to God. There's, there's something holy he's really set apart. I didn't get that from her words. I got that from her soul, I guess is the best way to say it. And, and that was the turning point for me as I began to understand this holiness and I began to watch her and her prayer life. 
was special to her. And so it became special to me. So parents, don't underestimate the power of prayer. Don't underestimate the power of that holiness, that holding God in reverence, and inviting your kids, even if they're the youngest and they don't have anybody to pass it off to, the power of prayer. Because God can work in that and through that. And so as a closing prayer today, I'm going to invite Mike back up as we pray this prayer together. This is a prayer, and, and you may have heard different variations and themes and whatever, but I just wanted to put a version that we could read together. So this will be our closing prayer as we close out this section today. Can you all see that? Okay, good. If you feel that to pray, pray with me out loud. If not, pray silently, pray the parts that you can, and ask God to deal with the parts that you can. But let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power 